1 Corinthians chapter 16. And as you're finding your place, I would like to just emphasize what Susie said, that it was a blessing. And uh, I didn't know what she was going to say. She didn't tell me that, uh, uh, what her prepared comments were going to be. But uh, I'd already thought about uh, just conveying to you how much the notes were appreciated. The financial gift is always a blessing, and it's always appreciated. But honestly, just the, uh, uh, the time that you took to write the personal notes to uh, express kindness to us, it was a blessing. And so, again, on, uh, just to reiterate what she said, thank you very much. It was a blessing. All right? So that being said, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, we are glad to be in your house tonight. And, Lord, I'm thankful for the peace that we were able to sing about. God, I pray that you would... Uh, Help us to know that peace in the times of trouble, in the times of uh, uh, just hard times. I I pray that you'd help us to know your peace, uh, that we would know your comfort. God, I pray that you'd help me tonight to say what you've laid upon my heart, and that you'd use it to be a help to your people this evening. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We went a little longer in the song service than we normally do, so I'm not going to spend time reviewing like I normally would. But tonight I want to begin by taking us back to our childhood, all right? I want us to go back to our childhood. I want us to go back to those days of elementary school, maybe junior high or high school. And I want you to think about recess, all right? Recess. One of the highlights of the day, was it not, when you were in school? Unless you were one of those kids who didn't like recess and I'd rather be in school then you were probably getting beat up. All right, so recess was a highlight. It was something you looked forward to. And I don't know if your experience would be anything like mine, but it seemed like, at least in elementary and junior high, it seemed like whenever you were on recess, at some point, some kind of a competitive sport was going to be organized among the students. So it might have been basketball, it may have been baseball, it may have been football, it may have been kickball. Whatever it may have been, it seemed like there was consistently some kind of a game that was going to be played. And so here's what you know, that in order to play those types of games, you have to have teams, right? That's the way it works. So if your experience was anything like my experience, then you know this had to happen, that there had to be two captains, one for each team, and they were going to select their teams, kind of like the draft that takes place every year in professional sports. Does this sound familiar? Okay, I just want to make sure it wasn't a regional thing only in Oklahoma where we practiced this, all right? So you had your two captains and one, of course, representing each side, and and you would decide who was going to pick first, and then, of course, you'd go back and forth, back and forth. And, And you always started, if you were the captain, by picking the best player possible, right? Everybody knew how the system worked. The best player available was who was going to be chosen next. So then what eventually happened? Well, you eventually got down to the last two people standing there, right? Kind of awkward. Because now the captain on this particular team is trying to weigh out which one will hurt us less. This one has no skills, this one can't run, this one trips over their own feet. Whatever the dilemma may have been, the captain is sitting there trying to determine which one will hurt us the least of these two candidates now before us. And eventually the captain makes a decision, leaving one. Right? And so begrudgingly, what does the next captain say? All right, come on. You go stand over there. Just stand over there and don't ask for the ball, don't touch the ball, don't do anything, just stand over there. 
Now, I don't know if you were ever the last person picked, okay? If you were, I apologize, but I want to make a statement just real quick about that kid, okay? That kid who was always picked last, that was the person you did not want to be. In, in the game of sports, I mean, if you took recess serious, that was not who you wanted to be, right? That was an embarrassing, humiliating position to find yourself in. I don't want to be the last person picked. I don't want to be that guy. There's just too much embarrassment and humiliation associated with that. Now tonight we'll get back to that principle in just a couple of moments. I can see that we're excited about this, so we're just going to get right into the text. But I want us to look tonight in verse number 15 toward the middle of it, all right? In the middle of verse number 15, well, more toward the front, but he says, Ye know the house of Stephanus, or Stephanus, or Stephanas. I don't know what his name is, okay, but we're going to go with Stephanus tonight, all right? So you have the house of Stephanus mentioned. Now, unless you have some inside information that is not available to me, then here's what we would have to agree upon, that there is not a lot of information given to us about this man or his house, this house of Stephanus, right? We don't know how old of a man this man is. We don't know how long he's been married. We don't know how big of a family his household is. We don't know how old his children are. We don't know how long he's been saved. We, we don't know what he does for a living. There are so many things that we do not know about this man or his house, but there are a few things that we are able to see of him and learn of him. And so I want us to look at a couple of those things tonight very quickly. Notice, first of all, that the Apostle Paul described him as this. He said, the house of Stephanus, that is, the first fruits of Achaia. So what does it mean whenever Paul said that he was of the first fruits of Achaia or Achaia? It means this, that among the converts there in the land of Achaia and in the city of Corinth, Stephanus and his household would have been among the first converts into Christianity. All right, so this is one of the first families that the Apostle Paul would have been able to reach while he was in that area. And if you go back to chapter 1, verse number 16, here's what you find. You find that the Apostle Paul baptized him and his family and just a few others, but no one else there in Corinth. So you look in verse number 15, you think about chapter 1, verse number 16, and we find that he was one of the first saved individuals and his family was one of the first converts there in that area. And Paul baptized his family and himself. But it goes on to say in verse number 15, of him and his household that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Now, I want us to think about this for just a moment, because though not much is said of Stephanus and his household, for it to be said of him that they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that is a significant statement to have made of him. 
What does it mean whenever it says, whenever the Apostle Paul says that they as a house had addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints? Here is what it means. It means that as a result of his salvation and as a result of of his growing in the knowledge of the Lord and becoming the individual he was supposed to be, here is what he and his family developed. They developed a passion and a burden for ministering to other saints other men and women and children in any way that they possibly could. Now, again, that's an important statement, that they had addicted themselves to the ministry. This means it was something that was driving them. This was something that was a passion to them. This was something that was a burden to them. And I want us to think about this. We'll deal with it more as we go throughout the message. But it obviously stands in contrast to some of the heart and some of the burdens and some of the priorities that other people in the church had in relation to ministering to others. Because see, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, he did not say that one of their problems in general was they had too much of a burden to minister to other people. Does this make sense? He never said, listen, church, you're too addicted to the ministry of the saints. That was not anything that the Apostle Paul accused them of. That was not anything that he suggested they were struggling with. But of Stephanus and his household, it says this, that they addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. This was something that they took serious. They wanted to serve and they wanted to minister to others around them. Well, how do we know? Well, notice in verse number 18, it says this, For they have refreshed my spirit. They have refreshed my spirit. Now, specifically, we see in verse number 17, who the Apostle Paul is writing about. He is talking about Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, or Achaicus. But in general, in verse number 15, or specifically, I should say, He is referencing Stephanus, and here's what he says of himself and a couple of others in the church. He said, they have refreshed my spirit. So what does that mean whenever it says they have refreshed my spirit? It means this, that they have encouraged me, and they've been a help to me, and and they've been a blessing to me. You following this? All right. So what has Stephanus done in his household, as well as a couple of others who are mentioned by name? What have they done to the Apostle Paul? Well, he said that they have refreshed my spirit. They have been an encouragement to me. They have been a blessing to me. They have been a help. Now, this is important that we see this. Notice what he said next. He said, and they have refreshed my spirit and yours. So who is he writing to? Who is is Paul writing to? He is writing to the Corinthian believers, right? Okay. So he is writing and he says, listen... He has addicted himself to the ministry of the saints and their family and their houses as a whole. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints of serving and blessing. And Paul says, they have been a blessing to me. They have refreshed me. They have restored me. They have been a help to me. And he said, and they have also been a help to you. They have refreshed you. 
They've been an encouragement to you. They've been a blessing to you. They've been a source of encouragement and and strengthening to you. Paul said, it's not just me that they've been a blessing to. They have been a blessing to others in your own church. Now think about this. Just, Just think about this. This is good. That's important for this reason. Some people like to minister to people that they know will get them some kind of recognition. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that? That some people like to cling on to who they think will get them some recognition? It's it's not an insult. It's just a reality that sometimes there are certain people in positions of leadership that other people think, okay, now if if I can get in good with them, if I can serve them, if I can bless them, if I can minister to them, then, then not only do I get to help them out, then I get to be a part of the crowd. I get to be the one who runs with that person. I get to be special to them. Listen, that is not how Stephanus was at all. Paul said it's not just me that he's been a blessing to. He has been a blessing to you as well. So what does that seem to indicate? It seems to indicate this, that Stephanus and his household, they didn't care who it was. They just wanted to be a blessing. didn't matter if they were old. It didn't matter if they were young. It didn't matter if they were rich. It didn't matter if they were poor. It didn't matter if they had position in society or if they had no position in society. Regardless of who they were, the household of Stephanus simply wanted to minister to others, wanted to serve others. That was a burden that they took on themselves to try to be a blessing to their church family and anyone else they could be a help too. I don't know what you're thinking right now. Maybe you're not thinking a whole lot specifically about that, but I want us to think about something else. I want us to think about this, that the household of Stephanus did not have this addiction because they had nothing else to do with their lives. This addiction that they had to serve was something that was available to anyone else in the church. Anyone else in the church could have had this burden. Anyone else in the church could have had this passion. Anyone else in the church could have had this desire to be a blessing to others, to minister to others, to to be an encouragement to others. And here is how we know this to be so. Because he says in verse number 17, I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus or Achaicus, For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. You see this? He said, what you all lacked to do, these people, specifically Stephanus, these people supplied what you were lacking in supplying or giving. See, he said in verse number 18, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. See, what the church was lacking in and what the church was failing in, what the church was not giving and what the church was not providing, seemingly as a church body, was this. 
the refreshment and the encouragement and the help that one another needed from each other in the church family. The Apostle Paul says of himself, he said, listen, they provided for me on your part what you should have supplied, okay? It was lacking on your part, but they supplied it. They gave it to me. They are the ones who furnished this. And so here is the Apostle Paul saying to them, listen, Stephanus and these others along with his household, they have been the encouragement that you could have been and that you should have been. But it's the household of Stephanus that addicted themselves to the ministry. Now tonight I, I want us to, to give pause and, and, and ap, uh, apply this for just a moment. Have you noticed at times in your Christian life that though many, many years have passed, some things have never changed? Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, I mean, it's a scriptural principle, so we should have noticed it at some point. But, but it, it, at some point, it ought to click with us, and it ought to register with us, and I'm sure it does with most of us. But, but it is amazing how constant human nature remains and, and, and how just consistent humanity is, even within the body of a church. See, think about churches today. Not just our church, though our church is not the exception, but think about churches in general today. What does most churches, or what do most churches enjoy? Most churches enjoy at least a small handful of people who are addicted to ministering to others. And that's a good thing. You say, well, what do you mean whenever, I, whenever you say they're addicted to ministering to others? It means this that that's a passion of theirs and it's a burden of theirs and it's something that they want to accomplish in their lives. It's not that they have nothing else going on. It's not that they don't have a, a schedule like everyone else, but they have made it priority that in their lives, here's what they want to do. They want to be a blessing and they want to be a help and they want to be an encouragement to others. And there are some, it seems, in every church that there are those people they just want to be a help to the church family in any way they can. So if they can be a blessing here, that's what they want to do. If they, want, if they need to minister here, that's what they want to do. If they need to invest here, that's what they're willing to do. And they're just busy trying to help others in their church body. Now, just as that is true in every church, what is also true of every church? It is true that in every church you have others who are not addicted to the ministry of the saints. It's not a passion. It's not a burden. It's not anything they're really concerned about. And so this person may need some encouragement... But they're not the ones who offer the encouragement. This person could use some special attention, but this person, this church family member, they're not going to give them that special attention that they could use. And, and here's what we know. They've got as many excuses available to them to justify not being addicted to the ministry as anyone else could have available to them. It's just that one is not going to use the excuses while the other ones will use the excuses. 
just saying that in every church there is a lacking of refreshing or refreshing taking place, not just in the life of the pastor, but in the lives of other people. Now, I, I want to be very careful in how I say this, all right? Because I don't want you to say, well, you just said the church was such an encouragement to you and such a blessing, and now you're saying it's not. L listen, the church was a tremendous blessing to our family this weekend. There's no denying it. And Susie was telling you the truth. We laughed. We cried. We, we, we just enjoyed the time of reading the notes. Everything was a blessing to us Sunday night corporately. Corporately. But it doesn't mean that that then means everyone in our church has a burden and a desire to be a blessing to the church family that they're a part of. You see this? See, some people just come to church and all they are is takers, but they're not givers. They are receivers, but they're not investors. So they come to church and they don't really mingle, they don't really talk, they don't really associate except with the people who don't make them uncomfortable. They come to church and they just kind of sit in their spot and they just kind of, kind of hope that people will come to them, but they're not really mindful of what this person may be dealing with or what this family might be going through. And so where we could be more addicted to ministry, there are some who, for lack of better words, aren't real concerned about it. And that's the way church life seems to go in every church, at least that I've ever been associated with. Some do, some give, some care, some invest, and others don't. Now, as you read through this, I think it's fair for me to say that the tone of the Apostle Paul does not seem angry. It's just a statement of fact. This one is addicted to the ministry with his household, to the saints. They've been a blessing to me. They've been a blessing to you. By implication, so many others in the church, not addicted, haven't really been a blessing, haven't really been an encouragement and these have had to provide where you were lacking. So that's all pretty well explained in the verse. But I want us to see something else. In verse number 15, the verse starts like this. I beseech you, brethren. Is that what it says? I beseech you. So whenever he says, I beseech you, what does that mean? It means this. Guys, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. And then he throws in what he does about Stephanus and his household and how they're the first fruits and how they've addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. But notice what he said next. He said, I beseech you, brethren, that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. What does it mean to submit yourselves? It means to yield yourselves to. It means to place yourself under someone else, right? 
Think about the marriage relationship, though not real popular in today's culture. What is the wife supposed to do to the husband? She's supposed to submit, right? It means that you're supposed to yield. The wife is to the authority of the husband. And and the kids, what are they supposed to do? They're to submit to the authority of the parents. They're supposed to yield and place themselves under that authority, right? Okay, so we understand the principle. We understand the concept of it. So he says, I beseech you, brethren, or I'm begging you, or I am pleading with you, that ye submit yourselves unto such. Well, unto such what? Unto such a household of someone like Stephanus, and those who are mentioned in verse number 17, he said, I am pleading with you and I am beseeching you, brethren, that you submit or that you be willing to put yourselves under their authority. Now think about this. Were these words written only because Paul felt like I need to just throw something in, so I'll put this out there? Of course not. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, and he said, I beseech you, I am pleading with you, I am begging you. He wrote these words because they were necessary. Now, why would it be necessary to tell someone to submit themselves unto someone else? Here's why. Because obviously, they weren't. See, If a husband is here and the wife has joyfully submitted here, then I have no reason to say to the wife, ma'am, you need to submit because she's already doing it. The only reason that I would need to say to a wife to, to help in this marriage relationship to submit, the only reason I would need to say that to her is if she wasn't submitting. So follow this. I beseech you, brethren, that ye submit yourselves unto such, because at this point they were not submitting themselves to people like Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus or Achaicus. Somebody says, what's the point in all this? The point is this. Not only were they selfish... They were rebellious. Not only were they self-centered, they were obstinate. Not only were they not concerned about ministering to others, they obviously felt like they had it all together and didn't need to submit to anyone's spiritual leadership in their lives. Now, that's a principle you see in many different areas of life, is it not? Say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, think about this for just a moment. How many of you have ever dealt with a selfish coworker? Most of us have dealt with selfish coworkers at some point, right? How submissive do they generally tend to be to the authority over them? They tend to not be too submissive to the authority, right? Because they know everything already. Why would I submit to you? Because I already know everything. Now listen, I need to get off early because I've got things to do. Well, I could ask, I need you to stay late. No, I'm not staying late. Uh, listen, it's, it's all about me. But uh, listen, since it's all about me, let me go ahead and tell you what you need to change differently and, and do differently in this business to really make it succeed. Isn't it amazing how those attitudes tend to go together with so many people? I am selfish and I am 
rebellious, I am self-centered, and I am a know-it-all, and I'm not going to comply with anyone. You ever seen that with anyone in your family? The world revolves around them, and they want to tell you how to handle your business. It's all about them. It's all about their family. They're not worried about anyone else, and yet... When it comes right down to it, they know the problems of everyone else and they're not about to listen to anyone suggest anything to them about anything. Isn't it amazing how those spirits tend to go together? I'm not worried about anyone else and yet I've got the answers for everyone else. So do you see what was happening in the church? They're not addicted to the ministry. They're not worried about ministering. They're not worried about being a blessing. They're not worried about trying to be a help and an encouragement to either Paul or Apollos or Cephas or whoever the preacher may have been at that time. They're not worried about being a a help to Stephanus and his household and, and ministering to the rest of the church. And at the same time, you know what it appears they were doing? It appears as though they were bucking whatever leadership Stephanus and a few others were trying to give to the church. Because they already knew everything. They already had all the answers and they weren't going to listen to anything that Stephanus or anyone else had to say because they had the answers for how the church needed to be run and what needed to be done and, and just we know what we're doing. Sweet attitude, right? Yeah, well, not really. And yet here again is what I find amazing. Ain't nothing changed. You know what I mean? See, I found this to be interesting. That when people care about ministry, you know what they've also got by way of a spirit? They've got a pretty submissive spirit. When when their primary goal is to to just be a help and to just be a blessing and to just be an encouragement. You know what they've got? They've, they've got a pretty good attitude to work with. And, and, and if a spiritual leader, say a pastor, were to say something like, hey, I think we need to do this, you know what their attitude is? Hey, if you think it's best for the church, let's do it. If you think it's best for that family, let's do it. If you think this is going to, going to, to be a help to the family, let's do this. Whatever it may be, it's amazing this correlation between the ones who want to serve and a good spirit amongst those who are striving to serve. And yet you also witness this. Even in a church, when people don't want to serve, there is a tendency among them to want to try to tell you how the church ought to be run. They may not invest in anyone's life. They may not have tried to be an encouragement or a help to anyone in the last 25 years. But they know how the money ought to be spent. They know what needs to be bought, what doesn't need to be bought. They know what needs to be done, what ministries need to be implemented, what ones are profitable and what ones aren't. It is amazing, even in a church family, when you find people who don't really care about investing in others, they're not too worried about having the right spirit toward the leadership and the direction the leadership is trying to take the church. There's just 
something that seems to go hand in hand with both of those spirits. Now, this evening, I want us to think about that. To be that person really should be an embarrassment, should it not? To be that person really should be humiliating. To be selfish and self-centered and rebellious and obstinate all at the same time, that should be embarrassing and that should be humiliating. Now here's what I want us to see. Hopefully we'll tie all this together now. But here's what I want us to see. That the last thing in the world that we should want to be is to be that person. You understand what I'm saying? God help me to not be that person. I don't want to be that one. I, I don't want to be the one that, that is begrudgingly accepted by everyone else. All right, come on. Just stand over there and don't do anything, okay? Don't, don't talk, don't, don't converse, don't do anything. If that's the attitude you're going to have, if that's the spirit you're going to have, if that's the way you're going to handle yourself, just, just don't, 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 don't do anything. We'd rather you just not do anything than to do what you normally do. To be the person who doesn't contribute and to be the one who's got an attitude, that should be the last person in life, in any realm of life, but especially the spiritual realm, that should be the last person we would ever want to be. Now I say that for this reason. Not because I think anything's happening, not because I think there's an undercurrent of anything that needs to be addressed or dealt with, but I say that for this reason. Every bit of us have the potential to have that kind of an attitude. You realize this? Every one of us can turn inward in our focus. Every one of us can get our focus off of others and on ministering to others and trying to be a blessing to others. And we can turn the focus to ourselves and we can make it all about us. And when we do that, you know what else will crop up with that attitude? This idea that you know better than everyone else. And because you know better than everyone else, you don't need to submit and you don't need to yield and you don't need to, to place yourself under anyone's authority. And it's then that you'll be in a very embarrassing, humiliating position. But the sad thing is this, more times than not, when we're there, we don't even recognize it. As I did some reflection with this principle, you know what I realized? The number of times the focus has been on myself in different areas of life. And you know what came with that inward selfish focus? It came this attitude that I thought I knew better than everyone else. Now I'm just saying, if you did some reflection, if you did some inspection of your own life, here is what you might find at some point in your past where you were that person. That's not a position we want to be in. So how do we guard against it? Well, I think to some extent we would say this. God, help me to have a burden for others. Help my, my outlook on life to be on others and not myself. 
Because if we'll just keep our head down and try to serve others, that takes a, listen, it takes away a whole lot of the time that we would otherwise have to gripe and tell other people how they needed to do their jobs. So be careful to not be that person. Just have a desire to serve and submit at the same time. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to just give attention to our spirit, to our attitude, toward our focus. Lord, that uh, we would have an outward focus on others. And Lord, that it would not be selfish and self-centered. God, I pray that you'd help us to provide and to encourage for others and uh, to be what we're supposed to be. I pray that you'd bless the invitation now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.